Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Freed from Feminism. We recorded this interview with two incredible Catholic women a few weeks ago and are so excited to share it with you today. Layla Miller and Leanne Abel chatted with us about divorce, a very emotional and charged issue, of course, and one that affects almost every single one of us. We discussed divorce in the Catholic Church, feminism and divorce, the huge importance of the role of male and female natures in a happy marriage, the causes of problematic marriages, and how to divorce-proof your marriage. This interview was truly amazing for many reasons and will interest anyone, whether you're single and for those who've been directly affected by divorce, whether it be from your parents or with yourselves, or those who haven't been directly affected by it, like Beth and I. Both of us left our interview just floored at how we felt inspired to be better wives and to love our husbands more fully. We hope you feel the same. Let's introduce you first to our amazing interviewees. Layla Miller is a wife of almost 30 years, mother of eight children, and grandmother of 10. She is a Catholic writer and author whose passion is church teaching on marriage, family, human sexuality, and moral issues. She has published four books, Primal Loss, The Now Adult Children of Divorce Speak, Raising Chaste Catholic Men, Practical Advice, Mom to Mom, Made This Way, How to Prepare Kids to Face Today's Tough Moral Issues, co-authored with Trent Horn of Catholic Answers, and her latest book, Impossible Marriages Redeemed, They Didn't End the Story in the Middle. Leanne Abel is a wife and a mother, earned a Master of Educational Administration in Arizona, co-authored a three-year diocesan teen leadership program, which covers theology of the body, reproductive biology of men and women, pro-life issues, and bioethics. She is on the board for Bioethics Defense Fund, was a sidewalk counselor and a manager for a pro-life pregnancy support center. In addition, she works as a marriage first responder, by helping struggling couples find their way to the help they need to get their marriages healthy again. And a quick note before we begin our interview. Layla's book, Primal Loss, brought forward many, many children of divorce that have never felt comfortable speaking before. And so if any of this discussion resonates with you, please, please check out their secret Facebook groups at laylamiller.net slash secretfbgroups. So that's L-E-I-L-A-M-I-L-L-E-R dot net forward slash secret FB groups. This can be a difficult issue and we hope that their support groups can encourage and uplift you. Please also check out Layla's website for all of her books at laylamiller.net. Like all of our interviews, we conducted this one on a let the experts talk fashion. We are not and do not pretend to be experts or authorities on anything and simply want to bring you comfort, courage, and community so that we can all detox from feminist ideology and strive to become as truly feminine and virtuous as Our Lady. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy this interview with Layla Miller and Leanne Abel. So to get started with some questions here, we would like you guys to tell us just a little bit about yourselves and then also your experiences with feminism. All right. So whoever okay. would like to go first. I'll, I'll go first. This is okay. Layla. Um, 
So I'm a, a wife and a mom. I have eight children and uh, almost about 10 grandchildren now. Uh, my kids are from ages 28 down to 10. And uh, I just, I'm kind of just a writer. I'm a revert to the Catholic faith. I've been teaching the faith for about 25 years. And I started writing a blog about 10 years ago, Little Catholic Bubble. And then I segue just to, you know, doing some books and, and, and I just have kind of a social media presence, I guess you could say. And, uh, my, my experience with feminism is, uh, I've always hated it as far as I hate the term. I've never identified as a feminist. I always thought that was terrible. And now as I go on in my life and I'm 53 now, I start to realize I've been swimming in a cultural feminism and I've soaked it in to my uh, being in such a way that I didn't realize I really had many of the traits and beliefs and brainwashing of feminism without wanting it and with actually formally rejecting it. And yet here, here I am just realizing how badly I've been infected with it. Uh, so, um, yeah, so that, that's who I am. And that's my experience with, with feminism. Story of us all. <laughs> yes. I feel like <laughs> hence this podcast. <laughs> right. So this is Leanne. Um, I'm married. I have a little crew of kids as well, although they're not so little. My youngest is 21, a couple of grandkids. Um, and yeah, I mean, as far as feminism, I've always really enjoyed the idea of being a mom at home and taking care of things at home. I've really enjoyed that. I also had some skills in other areas, kind of administrative skills. So I could very easily get pulled into things that, you know, were you know, even at schools or in different organizations uh, that were charity organizations and things. But I've pretty much been a stay-at-home mom for, for most of my life. Um, feminism really came onto my radar screen when I started working with people who are uh, having problems in their marriages. And I saw how often that was the issue and how confused people are about roles now and uh, what they are supposed to do to be competent and and to be valued and that really has wreaked havoc on marriages and so that's when it really became something that I needed to um, be able to articulate a little better what is the structure of the family what's the purpose of the family and um, what has feminism been telling all of us for so long that makes these marriages suffer so much uh, thank you thank you both um... That's, it's kind of a broad question. I'm sure we're going to tie it in for the rest of our conversation. But um, so Layla, let me give, give you um, one of our first specific questions is, so our audience is mainly Catholic. Um, you have written two books now, correct me if I'm wrong, about divorce from a Catholic perspective. Um, and I did a very cursory Google search about what the divorce rate is in the Catholic church, which as of uh, I think 2015, the New York Times said it was 28% of, of uh, Catholics were divorced, which equates to 11 million people. Um, so what do you think about that? What it, does that jive with what you have, um, what you've researched, um, with, with what you did with your books? And what does that say about... How does that tie into feminism, if if it does at all? 
So yeah, I um, got into this quote unquote divorce business quite by accident in some respects. Uh, so I have the two books that I've published on that are Primal Loss, which is um, subtitled The Now Adult Children of Divorce Speak. And that's 70 people who just answered eight of my questions that I thought up off the top of my head and just gave me the pain of what it is. I, I'm not a child of divorce. Uh, and they gave me the pain that they've been living. And I was blown away by that. So that was that was kind of a really eye-opening thing. And then um, the the most recent one that was an offshoot of that that came from that is now um, my current book, which is called um, Impossible Marriages Redeemed. They didn't end the story in the middle. So these are the stories of hope that it doesn't have to end, even if it's a terrible marriage, and God can get you through to a redemption. So, um, and those stories uh, were very, very powerful because that's how we used to be as a church, we used to know that when you get married, you're married for life, and God has a plan for that, and there's a reason that you go through the cross to the end. Um, so what I have, my kind of catchphrase out of all of this, and just from also being a lay Catholic for 53 years and not knowing any of this divorce stuff and all the underbelly for, I, I, I've only known this for the last three years or four years, so I was part of the whole Catholic culture of blending into the secular culture when it comes to divorce. And I know for a fact, having lived the culture and in the church for this long, that Catholics are against divorce in theory, but they are not against divorce in practice. And that is, I repeat that often because I think we all can understand that. We're against it. We think it's wrong. It's bad. And then when it comes to our suffering loved ones or ourselves, if we suffer, uh, we're okay with it because, of course, there's an exception for this case and this suffering. And, um, you know, God understands and God doesn't want us to suffer like this. And clearly we weren't meant to marry this person. There's our soulmate somewhere out there. And since both the culture and the church give us a lot of tools to move along, then that must be what we are supposed to do. And we do it in great, great numbers. So I don't have the stats on it like you do, but I would say that Catholics are not shocked by or horrified by or shying away from divorce. Yeah, I find that, especially amongst the Catholic world, that you're right, we say, oh, Catholics can't get divorced, but there's this thing called annulment which mm -hmm. before maybe, I don't know what your experience is with annulments, if there's ever an exception that you think, you know, for mental or emotional health or something. But I think now if you're a Catholic, you want to get divorced. It's just, oh, don't call it divorce. Just call it an annulment and then you can get it and you're all good to go. Yeah. So that's a whole subject. Like the annulment subject and then what's going on in the tribunals in America is a completely, you know, that's a show in itself. And I have started again, quite by just accident, by getting into this whole subject, I have been, um, like, like JP two and like Pope Benedict, I have been critical of the way that American tribunals handle these cases, because of course, clearly there are true and real impediments to marriage. And then you have what we have today, which is just tens of thousands of annulments going through. And again, you know, the space doesn't, we don't have the time today to discuss it, but I have 
talk to people who do work in the tribunal staffs. Uh, I've talked to canon lawyers who work in tribunals. I've talked to psychologists who worked in tribunals. I have some people on the side who, who talk to me off the record. There's an issue. There's a problem. And um, I think we all kind of know it. And we all kind of walk around a little bit insecure about our marriages in America because we all sort of wink, nod, hey, hey, ha, ha. Maybe we could get an annulment one day if it got really bad. We all kind of joke about it or laugh about it, but it, it, it's in our psyche and it, it's kind of making um, Catholic marriages very insecure because you don't have this sure understanding that, oh no, this is it, this is for life and the church will back that up if it ever you know, comes to the test. We don't know that. In fact, we know kind of quite the opposite. So that's why we have so many problems um, understanding marriage as permanent because you can say it is, but if it's actually not in, in reality, when it, when it comes down to it and your church is telling you it's not, your marriage isn't permanent, it's not really a marriage, you've, you've got the same situation that you've got in the general culture, except that it's a little more scandalous because you know, who now, who is saying that marriage really is permanent and who is walking that walk um, if not the church? So we, we have we have some issues out there and it's it's causing it's causing a lot of problems um, and it's breaking up marriages. And, and it's um, again. Yeah. The annulment issues is, is a whole other thing. <laughs> so, sure. yeah. So it seems to me that obviously divorce has skyrocketed in the last, what, 75 years or so. What would you say with regards to. Uh, maybe this is too much of a leap, but feminism causing divorce with regards to, you know, the the end of the first wave, the beginning of the second, kind of catapulting us into this, you know, sexual revolution and um, uh, this era where, you know, our marriages, like our babies, are disposable. Maybe Leanne, maybe you can you can take a stab at that yeah, first. Yeah. So so. Um... Since Layla has been receiving a lot of people that come to her with their marriage issues, um, and since uh, I had a background in peer counseling, um, I've sort of developed a set of people that help others who are having marital problems. So um, I kind of I, I had these conversations all day long, and it, feminism is in I don't want to say ninety nine percent, but I'll say ninety percent of of the issues that are being discussed. Wow. It depends on what you think, what you think feminism is. Um, I would say that feminism has been there. Uh, feminism and, well, people like to say that it's only the, the, the certain waves that are the objectionable waves of feminism, but the other waves were actually good because women had, you know, there was, okay, so inequality and whatever. Um, so obviously some things needed to change and that's fine. However, um, there is a, the nature of the family doesn't really change. And so when women are, are married and they're um, living out their, their vocation as a wife and as a mother, certain realities are just going to be there. And so those seeds were planted from the very beginning of feminism and they are growing in different ways and in different families. But now we're surrounded with a bunch of people uh, in our, our circle of friends and in our families, uh, all of us are, who are um, unaware that they are living out feminist ideas. And so 
Um, they've, they no longer want to see the difference between men and women. Some of them don't even know what it is. So when I'm talking to people, I'll say, what is the difference between men and women? And they'll give a few little things they might have read in a pop psychology book, but they don't understand at all that the dynamics they have come from a lack of understanding that, you know, some things are baked in the cake. Some things, some I mean, you know, men are going to be generally a certain way and women are going to be another way. And those things complement one another. And, you know, a lot of them came from Catholic universities. They learned their JP2 theology of the body, but they, they just never... They didn't realize that these differences are going to play out in marriage and we complement one another. So when I expect my husband to be my girlfriend and to meet all of my emotional needs, when he's trying to protect and provide, there's going to be a problem there. I'm going to be disappointed all the time. And if you come into a marriage with, with problems in the marriage to begin with, then you have sort of a deep hole. And you, the deeper the hole, the more he's got to fill that emotional hole back up again. And he's a guy and he functions differently. Your girlfriends might be able to help you with that. And in some way, marriage really is very healing. But it also is, a, it's an unreasonable thing to expect a husband to act uh, like he's a woman. Um, he's, he's focused on one thing at a time. He's not as able to handle her um, when she has... Um, complex things happening in her mind. Men have, they're very straightforward and women are very complex. We sit down and we talk with one another. We jump from subject to subject to subject and that's fine. Men are, they don't do that. They don't like that. They can't help you. They jump, they jump straight to the solution. Now she feels rejected because he didn't listen to her. And, and it's all because they're expecting the other to be like they are. They don't even know anymore. What is the difference between men and women? And, and, so we, we, women also have a tendency to become very critical and very bitter. And that comes up in relationships. So when he doesn't meet her emotional needs and when these various issues occur, she's very disappointed in him and, and very critical of him. And she'll say that. And, and of course, he just wants what one of the main drivers in a man is to be respected and admired. And so he's trying to do these certain things and he's focused on those things and she wants something else completely. And so there's disappointment and she gets bitter and upset. And it's a, it's a lack of understanding that we are different. We're supposed to be different. And he's providing what you don't provide. You're not supposed to replicate one another. You're supposed to bring different things and, and to the marriage. So a lot of times it's a lack of understanding of what the difference is. And it's a, um, a, a, a disappointment in the other person that leads to discontent. And then uh, feminism tells you, you need to be productive. You need to be competent. You need to you know do these certain things. So they, they don't feel valued when they're at home doing one of the most beautiful things in the world, which is raising a family. They're, oh, my, my head's gone to mush. I can't think anymore. Well, you're not on, you're not in the productive line out like you are at work where you have to be sharp and, and quick and efficient and whatever, you need to calm down and be able to go with the flow at home. So, so these women think they're not productive anymore. They're not worth anything anymore. The husbands aren't telling them that. They're coming to that conclusion themselves. And so it just gets to where the, the expectations of what men and women are and the, the expectations about what you can do, you know, when you have your heart at home, uh, 
those get very confused and sometimes they're not even fully understood to begin with. So um, that creates problems <laughs> in the marriage. It's no longer women, or I'm sorry, it's no longer men who are saying, I'm going to go off with another woman. Um, it's more, much more often, 60 to 70%, depending on which, which uh, statistics you read, it's the women leaving the husbands. And so that is a whole new phenomenon. I don't doubt it at all. And when I'm speaking with people who are in trouble, these are only the people that I've spoken to, but when I speak with marriages that are in trouble, even when it's the man leaving and he has developed another relationship, um, he usually picks a woman who is um, very feminine, very at home, very much wants to be his cheerleader, is not, uh, it's not what you might think. It's not some bombshell out there. It's just a woman who's willing to do things at home and, and be there for him and not be critical of him. And what, I'm not excusing it at all. <laughs> I'm just saying it's interesting um, that when I speak with the women, they're very strident and critical and, and, and you know, they're very um, demanding and exacting. And <laughs> it's like, oh boy. <laughs> that, that, it sounds like things have really, really fallen apart. Uh, but you see the dynamic of, of uh, what happened in the, the marriage when you talk with them about those types of issues. Yeah, I often wonder when I see what I've seen with divorce, um, that, you know, these women, like you said, are into feminism and, and they, you know, they don't feel productive as a stay-at-home mom and they want to get out in the world. But it's ironic because the thing that's making them be that is the thing that almost drove them away from being comfortable at home. And that is that feminism took, you know, women out of the home and the workplace. And now we've kind of lost the sense of community because before, you know, everybody would live together and you could disagree, but I kind of feel like everyone kind of lived in the neighborhood and they all went to the local church and there was that support system. So the mom never felt like she was alone. She had friends, cousins, aunts, mom, grandma, everybody was there. So she had that emotional support needed. You know, she never had to reach that burnout. You know, I've, I've been home and I don't know who to talk to anymore besides my husband. And then the husband could always just go out and provide with the other men. So you didn't, they weren't looking for everything to be fulfilled in their little tiny suburban home. Exactly. Yes. And men can't, they can't fulfill it. It's one of the things that young marriages really would, would do better to, to build off of with, as far as a foundation, your husband can't meet all of those needs. You need to have relationships with, with other women. You need to have other things that you do. You need to broaden out, uh, you know, your life, not so far that your no, your heart is no longer at home, but you need to, you need to have those networks. Right. And, and as young women, I mean, we were not taught that the things of the home were particularly valuable. Um, you know, and even in Catholic circles, we talk a lot, even very devout Catholic families that I know, and I include myself in this before my own mind change, um, you know, education, 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 you know, make sure you're thinking about what you want to do. You know, what, what's your career? What's your, what? Well, I mean, the, the nature, I always knew just because I was weird, I guess, but I always knew that I wanted to be a, a stay-at-home mom. I just knew that. I went to a great university. I got, you know, a lot of accolades. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. There was kind of a look, you know, that I'd get <laughs> when uh, I, I was strong enough to, to live that out, and I, I did it. I mean, that's what I wanted. But, um, but there wasn't a lot of 
oh gosh, well, that's really valuable too. And, and in fact, here's how to be competent in those skills, in those life skills and the things that you need to make a beautiful home because we forget that the economy and the the man who goes out and does this drudgery, because let's face it, what man really just loves skipping off to work and having so much fun doing what he's doing out there. <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. If you've ever talked to your husbands, nobody loves what they're doing, right? I mean, very rarely do you just find this stress-free, wonderful peace out there. But they are earning the living. They're doing what men are designed to do, which is protecting and providing so that we can be safe and comfortable and make a beautiful home for a family, which is the outgrowth of a marriage. So you have this safe place to to land. The, the, the man can come home and have... Um, a soft place to land, as I always tell, you know, young women. Um, and I know from my own experience, you know, God forgive me, I am not a safe place to land. I didn't have the understanding then that my job was to um, go alongside my husband and really be someone where he could, he could have a shelter from the rough world, uh, which now we're sending our daughters out to, you know, go out and be in that rough world and be competitive and, and lose your feminine side. Uh, but I, so I kind of did this split thing, which is very difficult. You know, I'm finding 30 years into marriage, um, and we have a good marriage and my husband's a wonderful man. Um, I don't even think he knew I, he's raised the same way I was, which is in this modern culture. But, uh, the question is, yeah, I was, I was home, I'm home, but I'm still expecting him to do a lot of the stuff, you know, like, well, well, you need to do this. You need to do that. And, um, I'm just going to sit here while you do the dishes or you, you know, it's like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. And I don't have any skills. You know, he was always a better cook. So it's like, okay, well he can cook. And that's fine for a while until, until you start to realize, well, he's tired when he gets home. Why is he doing, you know, what, why didn't I learn a skill? Why didn't I, why wasn't I taught that that was very, very important. And in fact, not only important, but one of my duties. And so you come back to, you know, what is the, what are the duties of our state in life? And that's one thing I wish that Catholics would come to, to realize is that we will be judged, as Leanne says, our, our you know, family and marriage have a nature. There's a nature to us. There's a nature to male and female. Everything has a nature and a structure and an order. And we will be judged, each of us, on the how well we are obedient to our the duties of our state in life. And that's true whether we're the, you know, a consecrated nun, whether we're a priest, whether we're a wife, whether we're a husband, how well we are obedient to our duties in our state of life is what God will judge us on at our judgment. So no one ever really talks about that. We just talk about like, well, you know, do whatever works for you. And if you feel fulfilled and if that works and, you know, you know, and, and be angry with him if he comes home after work and doesn't help you with the chores or help you with the babies or, um, you know, and I'm not saying he shouldn't, but I'm saying wh where is, where is our competence? Why haven't we done what women traditionally because of our nature, uh, have done throughout millennia and throughout all sorts of, um, cultures, why is that suddenly abhorrent to us and something beneath us, you know, to, to bathe the baby or to cook the food? Um, why do we see that as just, why do we have contempt for those kind of activities? Because we've been trained to have contempt for them. 
Right. And, and we like, don't know how to do them. And we, so and we don't feel competent. Who don't know right. how to do that. They, they haven't been taught. And so when you don't feel competent in something, you tend to not want to do it. And that's where you get all these, you know, millennials saying, I just, I feel like I'm falling apart. I don't know what to do. I, I feel like I'm a horrible wife, a horrible mom. Nobody taught us how to do this. And so, yes, you feel incompetent. And therefore you think I'll be more competent out in the world where I know what to do. Cause I, I did this in college or I did this with my first job and I had like a score sheet and people gave me rewards and I had a, um, you know, performance reviews and, and, and a raise. And so anyway, we have completely upended things and we have devalued the whole point of going out to get the paycheck, which is to have the home intact and beautiful and functioning. And instead we, we say that's, that's less than who said it's less than I, I want to know who, who decided mm. that housework was less than mm-hmm. our lady didn't think it was less than that, bingo. Where was she? Well, this is what kills me with a lot of these feminist Catholics is they want to make Mary into this fearsome. She was fierce. You know, she wasn't just some shrinking violet. Are you kidding me? She had her power from her obedience. She got her power from her gentleness. She got her power from the fact that she was living this hidden life, doing God's will, not her own. And that's how she is powerful. And and she had probably, I always say this too, she probably had so many gifts, so many more gifts than I have ever even thought of have, I, I have none of what the gifts she had. She could probably, if she wanted to, she could have been a great artist. She could have been a great orator. She could have been a great, anything out there. Everything, she could have been out yeah. there and she lived a hidden life and she was content to be a wife and a mother in the home. And why is that not enough for us? Who's telling us it's not enough? I love the anecdote. Oh, sorry. Go, go, ahead. go for it, Teresa. <laughs> Just a funny little anecdote before we go on, just talking about how we, you know, being a wife and a homemaker and a mother is, is undervalued. And, you know, we kind of pride ourselves on, you know, I can't cook at all. You know, I just get takeout all the time. <laughs> um, but there's this really funny, super liberal, um, like, I don't even know what to call it. Um, it's just this, this um, I guess, undercurrent on Instagram where you have all these, like I said, very liberal women making a living doing cooking videos. Yes. All they're doing is just filming themselves cooking. And for for some reason, it is incredibly popular. I mean, these women are making probably hundreds of thousands of dollars a a year with huge sponsorships. And it's, it's really funny. So even people are starting to kind of uh, maybe find small value here and there. Um, you, know, you know, even if they don't know what they're doing, <laughs> you know, what, you know, what's kind of twisted about the way that's being done is that they're doing it. And we're seeing even the beautiful kitchens in the background. Like you could see all the pretty pots and, you know, and we like that as when we're like, Oh, that looks really neat, but they're, they're doing it because it's okay to do it for money for your um, kind of your your viewership, for what other people out there want to you know say about it. Oh, look how how well how competent she is. If you asked her to do it only for a man, only for her husband, that's when people start to get upset. Like, well, we wouldn't want to do it for the one person that we vowed to love for the rest of our lives to death. 
we wouldn't want to serve our husbands who we are one with. That would be untoward. I mean, we, how could we do something so, so, so terrible and such a sellout, but we'll do it for everyone else, you know? And then it's like, oh, yay. Oh yes. You're doing such a good job. Isn't this beautiful? Look at how you present the dish. It looks so pleasing to the eye. It's so delicious in the tummy, but not for your husband. Cause if you do it for your husband, you know, he's like somehow the enemy. He's the one person you don't want to do that for, because then you aren't a real woman. You're, you're just some sort of slave. It's just so funny how we we twist it, and it, and that's how the devil works. I mean, he inverts everything good. Everything is an inversion of how it should be. It's an inversion of the right order, but yet we still see dr- we're drawn to it. We're drawn to it. Um, it's like the I always talk about the the when I had my first blog, I, I talk about this woman. She was called college student. She's not a college student anymore, but. Uh, we still kind of talk every now and then, but it, very liberal, very much in the world, very pro-Planned Parenthood, the whole bit, not Catholic. And uh, she said, uh, you know, when they talk privately, she and her liberal corporate friends, now they're in the corporate world, they always wanted to talk about marriage and babies. And I said, well, right, because we're women. That's what we want. That's what we talk about, weddings and babies. And I said, could you ever put that out on Facebook? Could you ever say that publicly? Like, gosh, I really just want, I want a wedding and babies. I want to be married. I want to be uh, someone to take care of me. I want a man to even take care of me. And she said, oh, Layla, you know, I can't do that. And it's not sad. Like you're not allowed to talk about your nature as a woman. You're just not allowed to do it. Sad. And a lot of, a lot of miserable women, they're not happy. These are not, these these are not interiorly peaceful, happy, joyful women. Interestingly, when I lived, um, I lived in another country um, for occasionally for like a year at a time or two years at a time. And I found that uh, one place that I moved to, I was surrounded by women who really disliked their children. They just were kind of, you know, children are kind of a pain and everything was a complaint. Everything was a complaint. And since we're very empathetic women... <laughs> we can really get that rubbing off on us more than more than we want or more than we realize. And I, I saw their contempt for things of the home, children, and everything was just a pain in the neck. And I realized I needed to distance myself from anyone who was going to do that because it was separating me from my children. I loved my kids. I loved the romping and I loved the, you know, there's a little bit of chaos with a bunch of kids running around and their friends coming over. And um, they found that to be just awful. And and so I think we have to be careful as modern women that even though the world says that there are other things more important, there's nothing more important. And you can just give yourself permission to enjoy that. Enjoy what's in your house. Enjoy making a beautiful home. I actually have seen quite a few young mothers who have started baking bread again. You know, their moms don't know how to do it. <laughs> their moms don't know how to do a lot of things. And they're, they're, I don't know if it's YouTube or if it's just um, kind of coming back where people are realizing, gosh, it would be a little bit nicer if, I, if this were part of our families. And Anyway, I think surrounding yourself with people who value the most important things is critical so that you don't get uh, affected more than, even about your own marriage. Oh, men are so this and men are so that and blah, blah, blah. that can really, really start to 
turn in the way you think about things and you can change from being very grateful to being very critical. So um, I think it's important that we remember we are, I, th I think you had mentioned earlier, uh, Layla, we're really swimming in a soup of, um, of, of feminism. The thought permeates everything. If you really look for it, you'll see how much it's there and you can choose to surround yourself with people who value the most important things. You know what the most important things are. Nobody really has to tell you that. You know, if you are married, that your vocation is important. And you know, if you are a mother, that your vocation as a mother is important. And those two things are critical. So those are the things that we can give ourselves permission to enjoy. And if, if for some reason you're thinking, I, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm repelled by some of the, well, you know, it takes a little humility. We have to have a humility to realize that uh, their little bodies and their little messes and their little, you know, diaper changes. And that's all, you know, the body is kind of humiliating in some ways. And so, yes, there are certain things that are difficult and um, we should just get right in there and make something beautiful out of a family life and, um, and give ourselves permission to enjoy all of that. Can I, yeah, that is exactly right. And I, I want to just talk about this idea of, um, you know, swimming in the soup of feminism in a marriage. We are supposed to, women are, this is, this is how, this is how it goes. Tell me if I'm wrong here. Um, men in this society and in a marriage are supposed to understand women. That's kind of their, their, that's what they're supposed to do. You're supposed to do what we need you to do. You have to figure out what we need and you have to fulfill that. And you have to know how we tick and what our needs are. But women are not expected to understand men. In fact, we, we don't care. <laughs> we don't care how they operate. We don't care how they think because they're beasts or brutes. And it's only because they're not as good as we are that they can't be in touch with, you know, our feelings and their feelings. And so we're not expected to know how a man ticks and what his disposition is, his, his constitution is, how he was made, how God uh, ordered his life and his nature. We're not supposed to. We don't care. We don't even give it a thought. And that's so wrong <laughs> in, in the order of things, in the creative order of things, where you have a man who is the head of the family and he should be, and that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's how God created it. Um, but you also have in the dynamic in the family and you'll, you'll, you'll recognize this too, that, and, and boy, you see this on Facebook a lot too. Um, this, if a woman criticizes her husband for all the things he's not doing, it's considered noble. You know, we're helping him understand how he needs to step up and do better. And, you know, he doesn't say this the right way. He doesn't do this the right way. He's not parenting the right way. He doesn't under, I have to constantly tell him how wrong he is on these things and why, oh, well, that's so noble. It's so good of you to do that. All the friends will say, because yeah, yeah, he's not doing that right. He, he can't be that. He can't yell at the kids like that. He has to talk like this. He can't load the dishwasher like that. He can't come home and sit on the couch like that. What? And we can say those things about our husbands all the time. And we are noble for doing so. And we can call him names. We can say he's a jerk. He's a narcissist. He's a, he's a this, he's a that. And you'll get all the support in the world. Flip it. If a man did the same thing and said, I can't believe it. I can't believe my wife is not cooking the meals. I can't believe she didn't 
you know, wear that outfit that I wanted her to wear. I can't believe that she didn't get my, uh, my drink when I asked her to get my drink or that she didn't, um, let me go out with the boys or she didn't do. And then if he called her names, you know, oh, she's, she's selfish. She's a, you know what, she's this or that. Every single person in the world would be on that man as the worst human being in the world. He's evil. He's, uh, you know, he's so bad that he probably needs to be kicked to the curb. You probably need to divorce that man because he's emotionally abusive. He's criticizing you. He's saying that you've done all these things wrong. He's, he's using sex as a weapon. You know, it's, it's everything, everything that we do is fine because in this feminist world, women can't do anything wrong. Everything we say is for the better of everyone because we're so smart. He does the exact same thing, the exact same criticisms, the same names, the same whatever, and he is evil incarnate and he needs to be gotten rid of. So when you start waking up to that and, and you could, you could, you could do a side-by-side study and put the same lines and make come out of the woman's, the wife's mouth or the man's mouth. And you'll see that you will have a completely different response depending on whether they think it's a woman speaking or a man speaking. And this is a huge problem in marriage. It's a huge problem online. It's a huge problem in these women's groups. And uh, once we're aware of it and start to think about it, we can hopefully, you know, that light bulb will go off and we'll stop. We'll stop and think and say, wait a second. It, it's, it's, it doesn't make you noble because you're insulting your husband because you're a woman. So... Well, and, and feminism will tell us two things that I don't think make sense. One is there's no difference between men and women. Mm-hmm. And the other is women are so much better. <laughs> Contradiction there. <laughs> and I, I can't, you just bounce back and forth between everything that flows from that. Because the reality is that men and women are different. They're so different and they fit together so beautifully. And, and when, when you have a family and you have a marriage, you have people bringing different things to the table that complement one another. And you have um, typical things that men and women are going to do wrong. We tend to do certain things as women and men tend to do certain things. And if, if, you, if you start talking with someone about a problem in, in a marriage, um, you know, this is not a, a person who is let's take abuse out of it when we've got some horrible thing happening. But if you just have a difficult marriage, you have usually someone who's complaining about a million things. Now, the fact that this person can be that critical about that many things may be part of the problem, but it's all put on the other person. And so you can guess whether it's the woman or the man who's making all those complaints. We have tendencies to want to control. We want to control everything. We want to tell everyone how to do everything. We turn into a kindergarten teacher when we're talking to our husbands. And we talk to the husbands like their children and let me show you how to do that. And, and, uh, you know, we don't talk to them as the men that they are. And so uh, these, we have our own set of issues that we should probably look at as women. And once we have those under control, could be that a lot of things become less of a problem. But if you ignore that there's a difference between men and women, but you demand that the women are in the forefront and in control, it's it's never going to make any sense, first of all. And it's not going to work. We are in a, I mean, our, our church, the Catholic church, if you're a Catholic, uh, is patriarchal. And so is the family. 
And um, that just makes people go into seizures. They cannot handle that. They can't. And it's, you know, it works so beautifully like that. Uh, it doesn't mean that women become doormats and men become horrible, horrible. You know, that's not it at all. That's not, that's not doing it well. That's doing it wrong. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if we would understand how it actually works and embrace it, then um, we could, you know, look at our own issues. What do we tend to do wrong? Where is our, I mean, if you're talking about uh, someone who lives a life of faith and they really want to live in, um, in accordance with their faith, right? So, so if I want to do that, I have to, I have to, first of all, accept a certain amount of suffering in my life because that's what my faith is actually built on. So I need to do that. And I can't assume that everything is going to be presented perfectly for me as if I was walking into an office job where I can make my list of demands and I can go to the hierarchy and get this out of it if it doesn't work. And I can, you know, um, that's not, that's not what it is in a family. You're, you're saying, I accept you unconditionally, just like, you know, God kind of accepts our sorry selves. Uh, and we, we, there's a permanent bond there so that we can stay together even when the other person is working out his or her issues, even if it's addiction, even if it's, we're not going to kick that person to the curb. We're going to say, all right, I've made a permanent vow to help this person through it. It could be that this is just my path to holiness where I have to, this person will never get better. And I will simply become a very holy person uh, through this very difficult cross. Um, but if you, if you go at it from a feminist perspective, this is unacceptable. <laughs> All of that, everything I just described is unacceptable. This, this cannot be. And if I, if I go to, you know, talk to my priest or my counselor or Catholic counselor, even, or my friends, even Catholic friends, you would think, uh, you know, since the church supports marriage, that that would be a, a strong support for you. And what you find is the opposite. You find that we are all sitting in this stuff and we are all uh, unable to say that there is suffering in the world. We avoid it at all costs. We're supposed to embrace it and use it as a path to holiness. And we avoid it at all costs. And feminism cannot live side by side with your faith. It, it, it won't work. They're asking for two different things. One is asking for rights and actually demanding rights. And the other is, is not, is not at all. And is trying to find a path to holiness, even through suffering. I think you just said it. I think you just said our faith is not compatible with feminism. Amen. No. And, and the more people try to make it that way, but it doesn't work. That's right. You can try and try, but when the whole point of feminism is my will, that, that, that's literally what feminism is. It's my will, my passions, my fulfillment. I look for myself and out for myself first, that is incompatible with Catholicism, which is the opposite, which is dying to self, dying to my desires, dying to my passions, and putting other people ahead of me and living in obedience. Now, I, I don't know of any feminism that is for obedience. <laughs> that doesn't, I, I've never heard of one like that. And I also haven't, uh, I haven't heard of any Catholicism or Christianity that is true that isn't about um, the natural order of things, which again is 
a beautiful patriarchy, a, a, a correctly ordered church and family are, are, as Leanne said, patriarchal. And I don't know of any feminism that doesn't want to kill the patriarchy. So we have a basic incompatibility. We have a contradiction. And so, as we've said, Leanne and I have said often, um, there, there comes a point where you, you reach that fork in the road and you have to choose. And I think our, our friend, Anne-Marie Schinberg has said this, um, that, uh, if you call yourself a Catholic feminist, at some point, one of those labels is going to win out. And it is almost always feminism that will win out. And why? Well, because that's the, supposedly, you know, until the, until ultimately it's not, but uh, it's the path of least resistance. It's, it's, it's the path that feeds our desires. It feeds our, our pride. It feeds, you know, what we want it's a lot harder to pick up a cross. So if it comes down to it, we're going to keep sliding towards the feminism part of Catholic feminism and uh, until we're now unrecognizable as a Catholic um, because the Catholic faith is, as Leanne said, it's the cross. It's the cross. It's death to self. And the opposite of death to self is feminism. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so we have a big problem if we have a, a church full of people who want to try to make those two things fit. They don't fit together. They repel. It's interesting because when you when you tell Catholic feminists that, they say, oh, but feminism is helping women. And you're like, well, Catholic, you know, Catholicism helps women. It helps you women, Mary yeah. and everything. And they, but yet they're so adamant. They have to keep defending feminism as if it's like the only thing that could ever give women any dignity, you know? Right. We, we had dignity as women long before there was a feminist movement. And because we're Catholic, again, if, if any good has come from, if we can find any good in feminism, it already exists in Catholicism. So it's just an accident. It's not part of, you know, the substance of feminism. It, it, it's actually already in existence. And you didn't need feminism to find it, to bring it in, because Catholicism is the truth. It has everything we need. Right. And feminism sometimes becomes this bucket into which people put all of their wishes. And they say, no, this is feminism. Someone else defines it completely differently. Mm. But it, that's feminism. And, and a lot of it actually is already addressed. It's just, you know, it's, it's in the faith. It's already addressed. But they come up with their own, well, this has to be fixed in the world. And I've heard feminism addresses that by, you know, its demands. And so that must be, that must be the way to do it. And sometimes requiring that everything else in the world change and requiring, you know, um, equal rights or equal, we're not the same, we're, we're completely different. And so men and women are completely different. So it can't ever be the same. And so that, that, that demand is, is, uh, well, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not, if it's in the bucket, it's not going to be uh, the way to handle things. It was already there in a different way, uh, a more effective way. It might not be getting exactly what you want the second you want it. Uh, it might be through, as we've said before, through suffering, but um, it, it, through sacrifice, which is for our own good anyway. Uh, we don't realize that until much where's, later. Where's, yeah, where's, <laughs> where is sacrifice in, in feminism? I don't remember that part in feminism. 
And, uh, and even this talk of rights, like I, I had this discussion with my 19 year old son who, you know, he's really feeling the weight of a culture that disdains men and, um, it's difficult. And, 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 and we've had this discussion that women don't, there's not one single legal right that women don't have that men have, right? That we have the same legal rights, except for one, women have an extra right, quote unquote, right. They have the right to kill their children. So we actually have quote unquote, you know, more rights than men in this society, because if a man wants to save his child from a violent death, he can't do it. He has no right in the law to do that, but a woman does. So even this idea that, oh, you know, we're still fighting for equality. No, you have every single legal right that a man has and then some, unfortunately. And it hasn't made you more human. It hasn't made you more feminine. It's made you less human. It's made you less of a woman. And it hasn't helped families. It hasn't helped marriage. Um, it doesn't serve God. I mean, there's no virtue in it. There's just nothing good there. So we really have to pull back from, um, from that, that, that word, that mindset. It just, it leads nowhere good. So what would you guys suggest to improve, you know, marriages, maybe young, I mean, Teresa and I, we've both only been married each one in two years. Um, how do we kind of fix that mindset? What do we do? I mean, because right now, like I just had a baby and you had mentioned before, Layla, about how we don't know how to do all of this. I mean, if, if I had a nickel for everything, I Googled like all these stupid questions about taking <laughs> care of babies, which probably aren't stupid, but nobody taught me how to do that. And here I am with this child and it's, and then there's more pressure to put pressure on your husband because you're just here and, and you, you don't have this. I mean, I was lucky to have some community, but you know, what do we, what do we do to prepare ourselves for marriage? And if we're in marriages, what do we do to improve them? Leanne, you want to take this? Because you're you're dealing with these people daily. So help. the young marriages, um, they need to realize that each spouse is going to change over time. And so um, as you encounter different things, you're not going to be very good at handling them. And there are going to be issues that come along. So what we think is when we get married, we've pretty much grown up. We are adulting like crazy here because we got through that marriage and or the, the wedding and we're, we are done. We're here we go. I have grown up now and I'm ready to rock and roll and I'm going to know all the things and I can do all the, th I mean, I'm an adult. I've been, you know, I turned 21 and people said I'm an adult. And it's really interesting because until you have the weight of the world fall on you, which is how do I handle this argument? How do I handle my, do I take this kid to the doctor or not? You know, when you have these, that feels like the weight of the world. And then you realize that you're not as good at things as you thought you were, and you're just starting to be an adult. And so you're going to go through a lot of phases and your husband is going to let you down big time. He's going to make some really stupid decisions with your family's money. And he's going to buy the wrong car and he's going to value the wrong things at times. And then he's going to realize that years later and you're going to be with him alongside that. And you are going to think that you have it all together and then find out that you don't. And you're going to learn how to do lots of things and how to, you know, rein in your own self. And so in other words, everybody's going to make a 
big bunch of mistakes for years. <laughs> and as you're making those mistakes, um, your husband and, and you as a wife, you're going to be there for one another uh, as you grow grow up more. You grow up more and more. And then you go into different phases. And then one day, you're at the end and uh, you have grandchildren who love you and a legacy. And you look back and you say it was all worth it. So if you have that as your perspective, you're going to be in this always with this person then as these things come along, you have a different perspective than if it gets really bad, I bet I can find a way out of this. I bet I can find an annulment or I bet, you know. And and so that's the thing to do is to say, we are founding a family. We are like, like you found a company or you found, you know, civilizations are founded. Like it's a big thing to found a family. So there you have your family and and it's going to have a legacy. And it's going to be, you know, kids are going to come over to your house, to gr your grandparents' house, you know, when your grandparents, right? This is a big deal. And it's going to go on for a long time. When you have that kind of a perspective uh, and you expect it of one another, then as things come along, you say, okay, what do I need to learn from this? What is, uh, what, uh, boy, did I always want to smack people when they said this to me. Okay. Um, but uh, what am I, what is God trying to teach me during this? I hated hearing that. Because uh, I always figured, you know, it was, it was the other person who was making a huge blunder here. It could be in a friendship or a marriage or in your family. The other person's making a huge blunder. But really, how do I learn to deal with people who are uh, not perfect. And, and because it'll be my turn here in a hot minute and I'm going to really mess something up. And I really expect that person to, to help me through it and get me out on the other side. And so there's a lot of humility involved. And as far as learning all of those things, um, you learn them over time. And, and, you know, anybody will tell you that when they handle their third child, it's completely different than their first child. It's just normal that it's all new and that you're going to grow in those skills. So we feel like we should be the Instagram mom the day we get married. And that's just not, that's, that's not realistic. We have a lot of things to learn. You're going to be a better, you know, whatever, uh, baker <laughs> or whatever much later in life. You just can't expect that. And we want to skip over all those difficult times and we want to just arrive at the living perfectly from now on. And that's, that's not realistic. So the other thing though is in relationships, you're going to have lots of problems where you'll discover in yourself and in in, in your spouse that there are um, there are weaknesses and you might have to live with them. They might be the unfixables. He might always be the one that wants to spend all the money or you might always be the one that wants to spend all the money and that might create problems and you might die having never fixed that. And that's okay. <laughs> so some of this stuff, I think you just have to really have the long view. Now, if there are some real problems that have come in at the beginning, I really, really, really hope that people start to address those right away. So, you know, if, if you're, if you have a very bad atmosphere, things are starting to veer off. Um, you do want to address those very early and take them seriously and, and say, you know, this is what I think is a healthier way to do this. We're building up our family culture now and screaming around the house might be something that one person grew up with and it's totally fine. It's just how you say your things. And the other person might be like, oh, that is killing me. And so there are certain things that, you know, they, it, it would make for a better life if you could address them early instead of saying, well, 15 years down the line, I never said anything. So that is not what it means to be, um, submissive to your husband, for example, uh, realizing your husband is going to uh, say a swear word and is probably going to lift his voice every now and then that's because he's a man. And at some point he can't anymore. And the kids will see that and they'll be like, Whoa, there's a point 
at which dad will get really upset and I don't want to push him to that anymore. But it doesn't, if he raises his voice, that doesn't mean, I mean, we might not, but you know, we're different and that's okay. And then you also have the really shrill moms who are screaming all the time. So I don't want to say women don't ever yell, but I'm just saying, you know, there are going to be some things that come along. And if they're really serious, you want to get some, some uh, mentoring. Uh, if you're married to someone who is an adult child of divorce, <laughs> there are going to be some other issues. I would strongly suggest taking a look at that and getting a little bit of healing if you've had that in your in your past or your husband's past. I tell people this all the time now. Um, and, you know, we happen to be on here with Layla Miller and she has the book Primal Loss, which helps explain what are some of the issues that people tend to have when they go into a marriage. Uh, they they grew up a certain way with certain um uh, insecurities and, and things like that, if they can learn, oh, that's where that comes from and not wait 30 years to figure that out, that'd be a really good thing. <laughs> that would make the, the marriage healthier from the beginning. So I'd say, you know, get, get, uh, keep your expectations real and, um, and, uh, realize that there are going to be major issues that are going to come up and that you're going to be cheerleading for this person through them, not, you're going to be rejecting this person. Um, and that's a different way to look at a marriage. And, and the one guardrail that has to be up there and that we've taken down, but we as friends and as, you know, in our own marriages have to keep up, the guardrail is there is no divorce. So if you know that, now you have a whole new set of options. Now what? you've taken that off the table. But as long as that, as long, if the guardrail's up, then you can deal with it and you can have this permanent commitment that goes through, which is what God intended. Um, so we've got to be very careful that, especially with our friends, when because every marriage is going to hit a part a, a hot spot where people are going to say, "Why did I marry this person? This was a mistake." Somewhere along the fifty years, that's going to happen probably more than once. Seasons happen, and as long as that guardrail is up, you're going to get through it. It's going to be fine. You'll stay on the road. Don't be that friend. You have to be the one voice, the one voice that says to your friend. I'll help you. I'll support you. We'll find a way. We'll, we'll, we'll find a way to, you know, make this work and make it better. But, um, there's no divorce and that can be enough to save a marriage. Just one sentence, you know, let's, let's do it. But remember this commitment is for life. So be that voice. Cause all the other voices, even in the church are going to say something else. I remember as a child, maybe, uh, 12 or 13, just about what you just said, Layla, it transformed my world when after a particularly intense fight that my parents had, they, afterwards they took me aside and they said, um, you know, we may be fighting, but you have to know no matter what happens, we're never div divorcing. Ugh. We will never divorce ever for any reason. Ever. Wow. Yes. And I cannot tell you the peace that I still remember it to this day, this peace that came over me that was like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, go ahead then. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's, it's almost like, isn't that almost like God's love? Like it, it, you, you mess up so bad, but he's not going to abandon you and he's not going to stop loving you. And that's why marriage is this little microcosm of God's love. I mean, that, that is what it is. It's, I, I love you to my death. That's what Christ, the ultimate spouse said. And 
I mean, my parents were wonderful. I lost my dad last August and they were married 55 years about and, uh, volatile. My dad is an Arab. <laughs> it was quite a, it was quite a marriage, you know, it was quite a Mediterranean type thing. And my mom's little girl, you know, grew up in Ohio as a little, you know, Ohio Protestant girl converted later. But anyway, so we had this, this, this yelling sort of thing that always went on and is normal to me. But, uh, but it was always my, my parents that always said, there's, we don't believe in divorce. You know, we don't believe in divorce. And now looking at how my mother just grieves, grieves her husband, you know, and, and it didn't matter that they had, ah, you know, this crazy because it was very stable. Like, I don't know, it's almost like this oxymoronic, you know, it was this, is, there was a lot of volatility, but it was incredibly secure, very stable. And never did I have any fear that this would fall apart and my life would, you know, split. So, um, so I, I hear what you're saying and that's a, that's a gift. Mm -hmm. So everyone who thinks they're doing their kids a favor by getting a divorce, because see, we'll stop fighting then. See, it'll be great. It'll be great for everyone. No, you've just put that child on a, a path of destruction. Mm. It's not what you think it is. So um, thank you for sharing that. That's a really beautiful um, little vignette of just peace and, and that, that playing out of, of marital love, which reflects God's love. It's just and look how, look how you as a child, you just were flooded with that, that piece. It was, it was particularly astonishing um, also because we were all Protestant and kind mm. of a, a crazy sect of Protestantism too. Like they didn't have to say that and they certainly uh -huh. didn't have to live it too because it was extremely, extremely prevalent in our, um, in our family group. But I know we, we're already at an hour. Can we end with one question, one more question? if you guys have time. Sure. Okay, great. Um, well, so we talked about divorce and, and marriages and, and all this wonderful th things. And I really appreciate everything that you both have said. It's been really quite edifying for, for me, for, certainly. Um, so I really appreciate that. But uh, we have a lot of um, single women who listen to us. And so how, how would you advise them to perhaps divorce proof their searching for their future spouse um, and how, how they should, you know, kind of uh, both look for someone who will lead them um, as a Catholic male should, um, but also identify in themselves the feminist uh, characteristics and ideologies that is, have probably unknowingly permeated them to kind of work on ahead of time, uh, before they make this, this vocational, um, commitment. Well, I have a couple thoughts. One is, um, when you, when you are going to get married, you have to go into it, um, saying, I will never let anyone be a wedge between me and my husband. That's, that's critical. I'm not going to let anyone, my family, right? No matter what kind of a family you came from, um, nothing is going to be a wedge between me and my husband. And so can you define that a little bit? What do you mean by a wedge? Um, if I'm any choices that I make as I move forward, what people I hang out with, my friends, 
uh, the schools where my kids are, the neighborhoods where we are, the kind of work that uh, that he does, um, kind of uh, any anything that I get involved in, anything that um, you know, just your your faith life. Nothing is going to be a wedge between me and my husband, and so it's always going to encourage me in that way. And if it doesn't, it needs to, it needs to, I need to distance myself. So when you first said, what would you say? I would say there are a lot of people who are um, looking to get married that are coming from broken families. And so they are already a little bit afraid. So many of the families that I work with that are having problems in their marriage, they have a child who's about to get married. So they have older children. And these children are terrified to get married. So there are a lot of people who are just afraid to make the commitment. So you'll find now that it's, we don't have as, we have fewer divorces. We have people not getting married at all. And that's the real problem. They're terrified of commitment because these marriages that they've seen have not worked out. And so you need to kind of figure that out in yourself, that marriages can work out, that, that there are, you know, you just have to set out that that's what you're going to do and make sure that that's what your spouse believes as well and not let anything come in that's going to to derail that. And I think that's just critical. It's just critical. And as you, you know, as you go through the even how you handle your wedding and things like that, this is your husband and it is you and you're entwined now and you never let anything come in that will break it apart. Anyway, that's I would say get some healing if you come from a broken family, uh, get some realizations that your family is not the same as your, uh, uh, as your, the fam your family of origin. And you can go two ways. You can say, well, I'm going to probably make the same mistakes as my family and da, da, da. Or you can say, I absolutely will never do what happened to me, to my children. And that's, that's a good way to go. It's, it's hard, but it's a good way to go. Yeah. And I would just say, um, if you can remember, especially, you know, young women, going into marriage or wanting to, um, remember your nature. If you can remember that your nature is different from a man's nature. And if you can remember that you are more relational, you know, women are, are more relational. Um, we, we understand emotions better. We understand emotional cues better. If we can remember that that's a female gift, that's a, that's one of the beautiful parts of our nature. That can, of course, go wonky and be distorted because of the fall, but that's that's something to be um, um, nurtured in ourselves, and that we're the ones who do the nurturing. You know, we want to have the beautiful home. We want to nurture the babies, even if we've been taught that's not what we should be doing. Um, so keep your your nature in 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 mind. What is it that God? How did God? I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of look through Scripture. I'm gonna look through the writings of the saints. I'm gonna look through the writings of Scripture and um, I, I'm sorry, in the church and um, and then remember that a man's nature is to protect and provide. So he's built like a warrior. He's got bigger muscles. His voice is deeper, so he can scare people more with a voice that is designed. Why? It's designed that way to protect you. It's designed to protect your children. It's designed to protect your home. And he is a, a provider. You know, he's the guy who was going to go out and kill the buffalo and bring it home. And, and that that doesn't make him a brute. That makes him a man. And that's something that we need to respect. So every time that we devalue, and then I, I'd, I'd ask the young women to really listen even in the media and, um, you know, TV, all the different um, things that are just surrounding us. Every time a man is devalued because of those traits, 
because he's stronger, because he's got a, a louder voice, because he's more toxically masculine or whatever, to remember to thank God that that's his gift, that that is to be respected, not derided. Um, and if, if a woman can start to, to fix that in her mind before she gets married, she could actually appreciate what he does when he goes out to work and what he does when he has a louder voice in correcting the children, um, that that's not a bad thing. That's a gift because he's a man. So again, if you can respect someone's masculinity, if you can respect your husband's masculinity and not want him to be feminine like you, um, you're going to go a long way to having a happy marriage because you're not going to expect him to be something that goes against his nature. Um, and you're not expected to be someone that you're not made to be either. So, um, that to me is just huge. And I, I, I wish that we could get that message out to, to every woman out there, every young woman. Mm, that's beautiful. Can that I add something beautiful. to that? Um, when women browbeat their husbands and they require them to toe the line the way she wants it, they create these husbands who they no longer find attractive. So they're literally requiring of their husbands that they do things a certain way. And the men, as they uh, give in and start to be the emotional, be the woman in the relationship, <laughs> I'm serious, it happens. So she's requiring that this becomes her girlfriend. She's not encouraging the manliness that he has, which she actually found attractive. She's encouraging him to become more feminine. And the more she creates this monster, the less attractive he's going to be. So she's about to not like what she's done. And that's a real forewarning for a lot of people that if they could respect and build this man up to be a, a he's not going to be perfect in his masculinity and we're not perfect in our femininity. So don't, don't, don't pull all of that down, that masculinity, help build it and help help, you know, encourage it. I always say, be his cheerleader, be his trusted advisor, come alongside him and help him be that man. Um, and then you will really admire him. And that's what he lives for. <laughs> he really, yes. really lives for that. So, um, and want to create it, the man that you're going to love later, not, not some, someone that you no longer find manly. And there's, there's a, I'll just, I'll throw in this last little thing too. There's a horm hormonal component to this. I love Dr. Christine Bacon. She has a book called super couples and, um, but she goes through this cycle of if, if men, they're very simple and they're not, that doesn't mean they're dumb, but they're very simple. And if a man can please his wife, he's a very happy man. All a man really wants to do is know that his wife can be pleased, that she can be pleased. And if we make ourselves women who, who are just never pleased with what he does. Like, you know, he hangs the blinds instead of saying, hey, that looks so good. Thank you so much for doing it. And we add, I wish you would have done it three days ago. Okay. <laughs> so right then, right then, hormonally, when he cannot please his wife, his testosterone goes down. And as his testosterone goes down, he's less able to please his wife. She feels less loved. As she feels less loved, she criticizes him more. His testosterone goes down. I mean, it's this cycle that goes around and around. Instead of her, you know, um, oxytocin going up and his testosterone going up and everybody being happy with each other. So be a wife. That's another thing just to say to these young women. Go in being a wife that can be easily um, pleased. 
that your husband can easily please you. Be a cheerleader, like like Leanne said, but don't be a critical, nagging person. Or your husband will, like you said, Leanne, become someone you don't want to be married to anyway, but you've kind of created that monster. And I had that. I'm going to leave you with this little anecdote. About 10 years into my marriage, I had this epiphany because, yeah, nothing my husband could do was right. And, you know, here I'm kind of laying myself bare here, but I was one of those women, you know, always just like, why why'd you choose that? Why'd you do that? Why? And he had planned something, a really wonderful thing. He had planned a surprise trip. And I was like, oh, gosh, I don't, I don't want to go on that trip. And I saw this look in his eye. I just, he didn't say anything, but I saw this look in his eye. I can't even describe it. And in a split second, I had this epiphany that it was all me. And I, said, I thought, my gosh, this poor man, if he had married someone else, he, he wouldn't have to be this miserable if he had married someone else who, who could appreciate him. And I remember thinking, I did this. I made him this person that I now have contempt for. And it was the biggest epiphany. And it was also at that time that I decided, because my dad is a very, he was a very strong figure in my life. I also decided I'm also going to side with my husband and listen to him first and foremost before I listen to my dad because I was like 30 something at the time and still a daddy's girl. And it was confusing to my dad. I'll never forget. It was painful. It was confusing to him, but it was the right thing. And it didn't mean I, I love my dad any less, but the man in my life was my husband. And you make that break from your family of origin. That is huge also. So those types of things are just little hard won wisdom that, um, you know, Used to be common knowledge, I guess, but but we just need to reiterate that for these for these young women coming up. Wow, I feel like we could just keep on for another four hours and still not. This is fantastic, and that's what women do. There, and that's another thing. That's what women do. We could go on for another four hours. (laughs) (laughs) We have to remember that our men would stop at the first, you know, five minutes and be like, "Okay, let's go get a beer," you know. So, (laughs) what are the three bullet points? The guys want the three bullet bullet points. points We want to go. Yeah, yeah. Talk for hours. Let's paint you a picture. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all right. So thank you so, so very much, uh, you both for joining us today. This has been, I mean, just incredible. And I really hope it helps um, our listeners. It certainly helped me on a personal level. Wow, I wasn't expecting this. That's, it's been really wonderful. So thank you again for joining us. And again, we will link to all the books and the websites uh, in the description below. And hopefully we can have you on again soon. Thank you so much. Thank Wonderful you. talking to you.